welcome to another episode of The Greatest Pod, where we discuss and debate what makes something great. I'm producer Bill. I'm Ron Swallow. And I'm Ed Greer. And I'm just raring to go about this topic, man. We are today talking about the greatest iteration of Star Trek. That's going to be controversial, and we have uh, a great person to be a, a sort of a expert with me on this episode. Fabulous comedian, wonderful writer, voiceover actress, bon vivant, raconteur extraordinaire, Fifi Da! Hi! Hey, guys. Thank you for having me back on this podcast. I had a blast doing it before, and I'm a giant fan of you guys, as you know. And my taste is impeccable, so that should go far. <laughs> we'll take it. We we know and we thank you very, very much. For yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, I have a very important question first. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Have you left us a five-star review, Vivian? I have left you a five-star review. So you see, I don't... You see? You see out there, people listening? Yeah. That's a real fan. Yeah. A person who leaves us a five-star review. So do that. Okay, guys? I didn't know I was walking into a gotcha interview, Ron. Jeez Louise. No, I, <laughs> here, here the to... thing is, I already, I already knew that you had left us. Uh, okay. I, this was a setup so that I could tell people out there to leave us five-star reviews, because we need even more than we've already gotten. Well, as long as we're shaming others, I'm, I'm fine with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we call him Ron TMZ Swallow. <laughs> <He's>... <laughs> Just waiting for you outside of Spago's. Gonna, but but re- really, the five-star reviews do help us move up the charts. They help people to become aware of us. They help us come up in the searches for like super cool podcasts. So please leave us a five-star review. And a bonus thing is if you leave us a dopely written five-star review, we will perform it. We'll figure out some way to perform it, whether it's Nightwang doing it or, or we're Star Trek captains doing it. Whatever way we're going to do it, we're going to do your review on our podcast. Can't beat that. Uh, that's a little thirsty, guys, I gotta say. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I'll dance for you. I'll dance for you, I swear. <laughs> hey, podcasting isn't a dignity business. I think you would know that for doing comedy. <laughs> yeah. Why <laughs> do I have no response to that? Carry on. <laughs> I'm just saying that we're all courting audiences. but And that's what's interesting about Star Trek is it's one of those things that starts out with no audience, gets canceled, gets saved by Lucille Ball, you know, all these sort of things that everybody knows is part of the legend of Star Trek. But the fact that we're still talking about it when, you know, it got canceled, it started one of the I wanted to talk about this because it's one of the first things that starts so-called nerd culture, that starts so-called uh, con culture. People thinking about these products long after they're relevant. It's like almost the invention of the modern pop culture nerd, in my personal opinion. These people had to keep the fires lit when there was no more product. And then they made them bring the product back because there was a fan base for something. I think that's I think that's really interesting that we're talking about this so many years later because people kept the fires lit after it first got canceled. I never thought of it that way, but yeah, they laid down, they basically laid down the skeleton for everything we know about, like, I mean, I hesitate to say nerddom, but I guess just fandom of anything now. Well, straight mm-hmm. up, the one of the first uh, comic book, but or I should say conventions, was the Star Trek convention. Mm-hmm. And, and the Star Trek conventions, basically, people who liked Star Trek had to, like, write each other. Yeah, and find each other and Papers. send letters yeah. and organize to make a giant convention so they could all get together. Like yeah. the work it took to put that together in an age where we couldn't e- where you couldn't email people is is pretty wild. And that that says something right there about the fandom. Like conventions don't exist. And then you think of the idea of a convention and then go through with it. That is low key insane. 
<laughs> well, I it's, it's a, go ahead. I think to that point, it's also interesting how Star Trek was really, I mean, through multiple iterations in the beginning, from the original series through the movies into the next generation, was really for a hardcore nerd fan base. And, you know, we never say that pejoratively. But it's funny comparing that to like the past 10 to 15 years where it seems like Star Trek has really been aggressively courting like the mainstream fan base feeling like, oh, no, we're just as good as Star Wars or the MCU. Come pay attention to us, which in a weird way feels almost like a betrayal of its roots because it was never a mass media thing. It was a very niche nerd thing. Well, I just have to say. Martin Luther King wrote to Nichelle Nichols saying that it is important that Star Trek exists. So I think what producer Bill is saying is MLK giant dweeb. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> I think history bears that out. You know, it seems yeah. to be historically uh, accurate. Yeah, he, read, he read a lot of books, man. I mean, yeah, I yeah. A lot, a lot of books. Um, but as, as far as that goes, though, uh, Star Trek being that important to people, um, uh, let's not belabor that. Let's explore it. So we got the first iteration of Star Trek, which is sort of it's trying to be sort of a rip rollicking uh, journey into the future. But also it's got its fair share of uh, aliens that are that sort of exist to be bad. You know, it's it's one of the one of the best iterations of just hey, these people are bad. They do bad. <laughs> it's one of the best iterations okay. of that because, like, the original click, the original Klingons would say, "Why are y'all such assholes, man?" <laughs> Some sort of. I think it's interesting that it's naval because that must have been what it was like to go to different continents and be like, "These motherfuckers are assholes, man. They don't do what I do at my country." Just insert X country. These people are different, so they're assholes. It's like uh, the naval theme of Star Trek. It's it's that's got to be part of it, right? And you pointed out on a previous episode, like, how can right-wingers be Star Trek fans? And you said, it's the Space Navy. And you're absolutely <laughs> right. Like, I, th you know, I, yeah, I'm, yeah, man, a bunch of, bunch of little hippies can't just get in a ship, start flying around, you know, making decisions <laughs> on when to go to war by who's got the talking pillow. It's not how shit works. You need to be <laughs> As a television product, Wagon Train in Space you get sort of the assignment of like, look, somebody has to go out and do stuff and have episodic adventures. How can we have episodic adventures? We go to different planets. So we build an infrastructure where this this ship with these characters must encounter different stuff every week that we can construct on a set and just sort of fog up the floor to make us know that we're not in a fucking high school gym shooting this shit. And, you know, the exploration, like, was a major part of it because, like, I just watched that Deep Space Nine documentary and they were talking about when it came out, a, a lot of people despised it because they thought, like, they need to be on a ship, they need to be going places, this is a soap opera on, you know, a truck stop in a war zone, essentially. Like, mm. that's, people hated it because that was such a big part of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's ingrained in the in the concept to boldly go where no person's gone before. So it's like I I, I definitely get that and exploratory nature of it and all the things you could run into when you go to there be Dragonsville. You know, all this weird stuff's going to happen to you there. But I think one thing that gets lost on how hopeful the original series seemed to be was like I, I think it gets lost because so many of the metaphors that they did were even more just closely hewn to American values of the time. Like I remember they go to this one place and basically these alien people who look j just like blonde white people 
find like the constitution and they just go nuts they're like this shit is so hot yeah oh my god this american shit next thing you know they're like uncle sam and they're just really patriotic it's so funny that we can like look back on something that's supposed to take place in 24th century and it's just like yeah but they also do things like when in the episode with the gorn when it's like you know oh we were just defending themselves like no the gorn was defending its space that's why it attacked you and then kirk refuses to kill him like if that's not you know like Mm -hmm. preemptive war or whatever you know that's not Vietnam stamped all over it. I don't know what is, you know? Yeah. Gene Roddenberry's viewpoint was that he wanted the idea to be exploration of planets, but obviously you can't make a TV show that's just like, hey, let's go look at this fun planet. Like, that's not a good TV show. Discovering that maybe this person seemed like an asshole, but really when you started hanging out with them, they were just a person doing a thing that maybe you didn't understand. That's and, And he sold that a lot on some of the shows. And sometimes they were assholes and you had to fight them. Yeah. And but still, I feel like that was a big part of the show right from the beginning. And it's not so it's it's definitely like, hey, it's about exploring. But it's Gene. I think what's so beautiful about Gene Roddenberry and what he gave to us was that he believed we would be good enough to explore. I mean, this is the 60s. Space shit is happening. It was the final frontier. Like, you know, it used to be we explored shit. Now we've covered the whole world. We don't anymore. The only other place is space. And it's this insurmountable obstacle. Like, how on earth did we get far out of that? Gene said, no, we will be good enough to do this, both morally, intellectually, philosophically. We're going to be able to do this. I challenge anyone to find another piece of media as positive as that. Yeah, and also so wrong. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, okay, you know what? In Deep Space Nine, there's a whole episode about how in the year 2020, people will be living in camps in tent cities, and their only crime is not having enough money. We're just in that phase, Ron. We got to get over that. We got to get out of that phase. We yeah. got to learn. And negative you never know. We could learn in the next 20 years if, uh, you know, climate change doesn't fucking murder us all. You know, so oh, yeah, there is that. <laughs> I have to ask as somewhat of a novice like just for the sake of comparing bona fides i have seen episodes of the original series and i've seen episodes of next generation and i've seen the new age movie you know the jj abrams era movies but that's about the extent of my star trek diet i know that the original one has a very clear mo that you know they're on a five-year mission to explore brave new worlds and go where no man has ever gone before And I believe that was essentially carried over whole cloth into the next generation. But from what I understand, some of the other spinoffs, Voyager and Deep Space Nine, and I know that there's one more that I can't think of before we get to like Discovery era. um, Do they have similar kind of like concise operating directives uh, or does it get a little bit more muddled the further away we get from Gene Roddenberry? Well, I would say it gets muddled. I mean, like, the ne- next generation is just like, just go out and find shit. Like, presumably, <laughs> they were getting orders to go wherever they were going. They never say that, hardly ever. But, like, Voyager definitely had a conceit. Like, they accident, like, they go through a wormhole, they get stuck in the Delta Quadrant, which is way far as fuck away from everything. It's going to take 70 whatever years to get home. In the meantime, we're still Starfleet, so we're going to explore the Delta Quadrant, and they get into shenanigans. And, you know, I think when they really lean into the Voyager conceit, that's where Voyager does some of its best work. Like that episode where they just go through like the two year dead zone and they're all kind of going insane. I love that episode. 
<laughs> well, yeah, and and I think uh, uh, Fifi and I unite like uh, Wonder Twins in in the regard that unfortunately, so many so many people are going to shut off their podcast device right now. I should you know mm-hmm. because oh my god, I can't believe I'm going to say this. Voyager seems like Taylor Swift. No, I once heard Voyager described as the Hillary Clinton of Star Trek. Dude, oh, okay, that, I think that's even better because it's like, it's like, okay, people go like, oh, we don't like this person for like all these reasons that don't necessarily have to do with it necessarily. Mm-hmm. And then there's all these associations that come with just like, well, oh, we just got to have this. Uh, there is some hate for the lady captain. But uh, I I maintain that lady captain has to make that captain has to make so many so many decisions that are so much harder than any Starfleet captain decision, and she's by herself. She can't call some admiral and get some advice on what she should do. They're mm-hmm. seventy seven years from home. Janeway's they, more badass captain than Cisco. There I said it. <laughs> Ooh, you know, intersectionality, the Star Trek pop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Well, you know, in the pale moonlight, when you know, when he has to kill the Romulan sen- senator to get them into the war, like he said, Janeway would have done that in a second, and she wouldn't have spent thirty minutes doing a fruity little diary about it. I'm going to tell you that. <laughs> well, you know, and and that is the thing, the expediency. Uh, there is an interesting thing about Star Trek that this is a good uh, segue in Star Trek. No matter what situation you're in, there are the the prime. There's the prime directive. There's mm-hmm. all these fucking rules. So you meet some people. You can't like just go fuck them up. You can't just go show yourself to them if you think it's going to uh, fuck with their development as a species. You can't just drop off you know medical supplies and stuff to these dudes that don't even have warp because you might change their whole society and their development. And there's all these rules to to being out in space. And then there are certain places like the, like Deep Space Nine's remoteness, like uh, Voyager's remoteness, where it's like, man, fuck the rules. We got to do some shit out here. This is the frontier, baby. And I love that about Star Trek in general, but those iterations of Star Trek in particular. Maybe we should hit what the iterations are just real quick, just to get them out. Mm-hmm. I know we're not a listicle show, but let's hit that for those mm-hmm. people who are listening right now who aren't pros at star trek but would love to be pros at star trek let's let's knock some of that out once you guys hit some of it and i let me just jump in real quick um i think that most people will know like captain kirk with the original series and obviously captain picard uh with the next generation but i think the other part of it and correct me if i'm wrong but most of these series the captains kind of define their overall aesthetic or like their overall approach to the star trek mythology so like we said, Star Trek and Star Trek Next Generation are both going out to explore new worlds. But maybe beyond that, give us a breakdown of kind of what the MO is and how the captain relates to that overall uh, operating directive for the show. All right, you want to do original series, Fifi? Uh, yeah, why don't you do it? You probably know it better than me. Well, okay. I mean, my conception, honestly, and this is more blasphemy for everybody to turn their turn their radios off. Turn their radios off. Well, my Walter Winchel. Um, the the point of the original series was to explore the universe on this five year plan and all that. And it seems like the thing that people like the most about it is there was a cowboy, a smart guy, you know, and a passionate guy. And that was the Troika that led that show. That's, that's Captain Kirk, Bones, the doctor, uh, you know, and, uh, and obviously Spock. 
And Spock represented this sort of cold intellect. Like he'd be like, ah, fuck it, let them die. There's a 92% chance they're dead anyway. Fuck them. He would do stuff like that. And then, and, um, Kirk would be like, no, we got to do it the cowboy way. And Bones was like, I just want to drink. Can we just get this over with? And then Scotty's <laughs> like, I cannot do it. I cannot do it. And that was like the framework for the, for the five or so years that it was on. And I think people like that because it's like good old boy buddies in space handling mm-hmm. stuff. And that is certainly a great iteration of it. It allowed all the rest of them to happen. But for people of my generation, that's kind of what I dismissively call it. It's like the good old boy generation of it where everybody's like, you know, uh, not necessarily a white dude, but definitely everybody's the same sort of dude with minor tweaks. Like, you know, drawings where you just erase a mustache or change the guy's tie and it's just three of the same drawing. Well, certainly I think they they all had a cohesive agreement about like, what they were supposed to do, why they were on that ship. There's an inherent goodness to it. Like, that's what I think of as somebody kind of looking in from the outside. That original series was morally uncomplicated amongst the Enterprise crew as much as it could be with, you know, yeah, like you said, that troika of id ego and superego, essentially, between those three guys. And I don't know, I don't know enough. Did that get more nuanced when we then move into the next generation? Or did it still seem like everybody was rah, rah on board? Like, like you said, Ed, kind of cowboys going out to tame the frontier. Or did it change as we move forward? In the original series, you still did have, uh, so, uh, Sulu and Uhura who were, you know, people of color at a time that that was like relatively unheard of. Breaking, breaking some ground uh, um, immediately and then moving into the movies, I feel like part of it. People of, of our generation kind of don't necessarily give as much credit as they should to like the fact that horror was on there or the fact that Sulu was on there because they were like playing bass most of the time. You know what I'm saying? Like a horror turned around and pushed buttons until, until the until the movies. She kind of turned around and pushed buttons and told people kind of like. Like, like super space secretary. And the fact that there was even a black space secretary was like so revolutionary. But it's just like, once you see how, how much we actually embrace the identity of the future, like, why wouldn't there just, why wouldn't there be aliens on the bridge then? Or wouldn't there be, you know, uh, fourth dimensional beings in, in the hole doing a job down there? You know what I mean? What, what, why wouldn't there be in this super space future? Why would even Starfleet just be human beings and stuff? And it kind of separates it from like the sort of, um, I got to say Star Wars ideal of like, it seemed like the empire is just all, they got all the ships, they got all the weapons and they're all white. And they're uh, until we saw Finn, they're all white dudes. They're all speak with English accents. They all have all the shit. They're the overwhelming force. And all these gutter people are aliens and poor people and slaves and fucked up people. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like uh, Star Trek being more inclusive from the get go even in their their space navy having you know black people uh uh agent black doctor dr babenga you know what i'm saying like shit like that that was super great for the 60s and super awesome and but as they go in as they go throughout the whole series the people who we give a fuck about are captain america thor excuse me it's kirk <laughs> spock and mccoy 100 <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i think when you move into tng like, you know, like you said, there's a Klingon on the bridge. There's a Betazoid who's on the bridge, which a Betazoid is basically, imagine a human, but hornier, which <laughs> <laughs> I, I respect Gene Roddenberry's horniness. I just, I want to get that out of the way. You know, wanted to give her three boobs. They yeah. had to talk him down, like the dude to lead the weapon. Like, oh my God, get, get off, get off. Well, the you know, here's the thing. Troy's uniform 
yeah, it's kind of appalling. But when I got into TNG, I just said like, oh, okay, like the Betazoids are like a more sexually liberated race. That's probably why their uniform is like that. Like it did not, I, I, I gotta admit, I bought it. Like to me, it works, but. I super bought it. You know what I'm saying? The real answer is Rick Berman is a pig, but. (laughs) The next generation being something of a, okay, we, we will be, we will be less cowboy than our previous you know, uh, series, but we'll get into more complex things that will still call for certain action and stuff. But in the end, I think it is more of a, I think the morality tale part that was always part of Roddenberry's vision got amped up on Mm -hmm. next generation. They got, at least they got more complex, you know, and like, you know, on the enterprise in TNG, they're literally like, let's take a break and go watch a a play of Cyrano de Bergerac that's being performed on the ship. And it's like, it's the middle of the day. Who's flying the ship right now? (laughs) (laughs) It's on autopilot. They're in orbit. (laughs) And and I think, and that's great because like, you know, um, Patrick Stewart is literally a Shakespearean actor and he brought this like intellectual gravitas to, to this whole thing. And what I think is cool is Riker who I could do a whole podcast on just him. Don't, you know, so don't let me get going, but he's, you know, kind of, he's like a Lothario and like a dude's dude. And like their dynamic could have been like some obnoxious, like the snob versus the slob fucking thing. But like, they were pros. They were like really friendly with each other. And like, they don't make sense on paper. And I, kind of low-key love that and i think it's a great thing look i'm gonna need you to stop talking shit about ed and i okay (laughs) (laughs) i think that is one thing that they carry over though that you know even if you look at kirk and spock i think it's arguably the same dynamic where it's like they don't make sense on paper but they find a way to do it and in a weird way i feel like there's a continuity from the original series to the next generation in so much as it's almost a portrayal of like how we would want our secretary of state and like our secretary of defense to approach the world as the United States. Mm -hmm. And like back in the sixties, it is that more cowboy mentality, like Ed said, but it's also a mentality of like, you know what? We're not going to shoot first. And you know what? We're not going to punish this guy. And like not getting into Vietnam, like you said, Fifi. And then you get into the 80s and it's almost like a utopian riff on Kissinger where it's like, all right, this guy is way more mercurial and, and eloquent and like hard to read. But by the same token, instead of being a devious bastard, he's, you know, Patrick Stewart, a Shakespearean actor who always has an upstanding moral code about every complicated quagmire he gets involved in. And I think that there's something cool about that is it's almost like, all right, how what is foreign policy doing in the era in which we're creating this? Oh, really? Here's the good version of that. And I just I just wonder if we lose that a little bit as we move past next generation. Well, I think that's why I, I think that's why Deep Space Nine is important. I I was put up by Deep Space Nine for a long time because it was pitched to me as like the dark, gritty Star Wars. Cause, and I'm like, oh, fuck you. I've heard enough of that shit. But like, I really appreciate Deep Space Nine being like all this highfalutin shit. That is not how war works. Get fucking serious. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm like, yeah, I hate to admit it. I, but yeah, kind of. That kind of is the way war works sometimes. But like, I don't know, man. I think like, just the fact that TNG posits that, like, not only can life be like this, but life will be like this. Like, I, again, I can't name anything that points to the fence 
you know, existentially speaking, like TNG does. And I think it's such a wonderful gift of the world because there's a lot of shit like Deep Space Nine. There is nothing like TNG in my book. Mm. So talk a little bit. I think Deep Space Nine might be yeah, the one I mean, that I'm, I'm least uh, familiar with. It's well, it's fantastic. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Deep Space Nine seems to be – it is the story of basically we take over, we meaning the Federation, take over a base that was owned by the Cardass- the Cardassians. Yeah, mm-hmm. Cardassians. Cardassians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Not the big, the big-ass <laughs> aliens. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They have super big butts. They, they fuck Ray J. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we know about them from what yeah. I understand because they the fuck Ray J. They, they they tuned into Moesha episodes for the past. They used okay. Anyway, the point is the Cardassians were um, an occupying force in this place called Bajor. They just kind of mm. came there, took over, told those people they can't practice their religion, told those people they can't be in government. We'll just take care of you and oppress you, and this is our land now. And so the Bajorans have uh, sort of, uh, with our help or whatever, kind of taken their stuff back, and so they're working on the station. Uh, there are different Cardassian outposts out around there that kind of, it feels like they might come impinge. And there's a giant ass wormhole that is very useful for all this trade shit. That's like right there too. Mm. So the, uh, the Federation sort of uh, puts, makes deep space nine, their um, bulwark, their, their outpost mm-hmm. to keep this situation chill. And they give a commander, not a captain because it's on the spaceship. They give oh. commander Cisco, uh, the job of doing that. And Cisco has the interesting personality quirk of being super fucking mad at Picard because <laughs> Picard as Locutus, the Borg are a, a, a thing introduced in uh, Star Trek in the next generation. They are an assimilative technology race. They take you over. They took over um, Picard, made him into a Borg, used his Starfleet knowledge to fuck up Starfleet. And in one of the big battles, they fucked up Starfleet real bad. And killed Cisco's wife. So and Ooh. so Cisco is a single parent. Hmm. Uh and he had and he and Picard comes to see him on like the I think the first episode and tell him, Hey buddy, well now you got a job here at D Space Nine. Get him in a shape, pal. Ha ha. See ya. And he's just like, Oh my God, I want to rip your throat out right now. I want to kick the shit out of you. You know, and hmm. it's like a kind of interesting dynamic. So they already put you know, if I was one of those uh Hebrew Israelites, I'd be like, they already posit the black man is mad. Instantly, the black man is angry. Okay, in the future, we can't be calm about shit. Fury, furious anger is the way we fucking uh, in the future, now, in the past. Fuck it. Yeah. So if I want to do that, I could. But the whole point is they and that that melange. It isn't necessarily a crew. It's some Starfleet guys like Cisco and uh, Cole Meany. What's his fucking name? What's his face? O'Brien. Uh, O'Brien. I, him and fucking O'Brien, him and Miles O'Brien and the doctor are like Starfleet and like uh, Jet Zia Dax is sort of Starfleet. And then there's like Quark who owns the local cheers there where a lot of criminal shit goes down. Then there's Odo, the town constable. It's like a wild west town. And hmm. Cisco is put it, it put, is put as the blazing saddle sheriff. And he's got to <laughs> like, you know, figure out yeah. how to get these people together. It's it's also worth noting that his second command is Kira Norris, who is a Bajoran mm-hmm. who was yes. occupied. And if you want to talk about what a gear shift it is between TNG and Deep Space Nine, Kira Norris is a fucking terrorist. That's mm-hmm. what she is. Mm-hmm. She's sabotaged and killed 
Cardassians who had nothing to do with the war, war effort. She killed other Bajorans because collaborators are as good as the enemy. And t- like TNG was light years away from anything like that. Deep Space Nine is like, no, you, you might need to make some friends with some terrorists to like get by in the world. Sorry about it. I mean, that's an interesting take on, on what I said earlier, though, that like it is sort of a, a a riff on foreign policy in the age of American occupations, you know, and and yeah. sort of what would that look like? But I, I'm getting the sense that it's not anywhere near as utopian as the first two Star Trek series. No. no. Yeah. It actually and, and sounds it, like yeah. um, it reminds me of Native, what we did to Native American people, honestly. Fuck your religion. Well, you got to live like yeah. us and do what we say. So, yeah. Well, it's it's also the whole thing of um, it is the Wild West, given the, the wormhole. The wormhole is like a big fucking deal. There's the wormhole, different shits coming out of it, different energies are coming out of it that the fucking uh, Bajorans have taken as like religious symbols and shit. And whereas the Federation and other races out there on the outskirts see that as like a nice trade route to get from this quadrant to way the fuck over somewhere else very quickly it's like this super super highway that must be defended because people coming through and using it for different nefarious purposes and business purposes and last things last deep space nine is the reintroduction of money Mm. to the equation oh interesting they have they have ferengi yeah the ferengi are like a trade trade race a uh real fiscal bunch of people and they are there, and the Bajorans are so fucking stultifyingly poor and fucked up because they're living under the Cardassians for so long. And now they have to rebuild their economy and what they're going to see is whatever. And they're not, they weren't technically, I don't think, part of the Federation. So they weren't under our auspices of, hey, everybody, show up, get your cheese sandwich, and go type on your computer all day. Have fun. <laughs> you know, that, right. they didn't live that lifestyle. They had to have jobs and I guess fucked up slave jobs and shit because <laughs> the Cardassians didn't really see them as people. So we got these people that were marshalling and stuff and try to show them the Federation way. The Cardassians are looming. Uh, all, and the Ferengi are there to just make a buck in that situation because their whole society is about making a buck. They like worship a, a bunch of rules. The rules of acquisition are their Bible. So they'll quote you the rules of acquisition like a Bible verse. So, and the rules of acquisition are like all always about getting more profit. Never do something unprofitable or you'll get fucked every time. You know, the, it's shit like that. The, the ama- Okay. If you're a TV writer or a fiction writer of any kind, the Ferengi are worth, are worth studying because they introduced the Ferengi in TNG and mm-hmm. basically they're meant to be a parody of the darker elements of humanity. They're these greedy, venal, little misogynistic assholes and they did not work in TNG at all. They were a joke. It was stupid. In Deep Space Nine, they said, we're not retconning a goddamn thing. Okay. <laughs> this exact same premise, but they went like, what if they actually believed this and there was an actual society like this? And they run with it and it works and it's awesome. I... Like wow. my my Star Trek guilty pleasure are the Ferengi episodes of Deep Space Nine. There's mm-hmm. like one of my favorite lines in Star Trek is like another. There's there's this other Ferengi called Inspector Brunt who always like gets into things with Quark and he's like like he's always like trying to get Quark in trouble. And there's this part where he goes up to him and goes, "You know what you are, Quark." You're a philanthropist. And he just deathly serious goes, I am not. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the dirtiest insult yeah, in their yeah, culture. It's yeah. So funny. <laughs> so one of the problems I have with uh fantasy novels, especially old school, it, it started to change in the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years or whatever. But before that, 
uh, a lot of times a race, say elves, would be a specific way. Humans would be a specific way. Goblins would be, a, you know, like gnomes. They'd all be the same type of attitude. And yeah. we all know as humans on this earth, while there's groups of people that have similarities and we can all agree with some of that as a, as a general, as a generalizations though are mostly bullshit. There's such a vast variety of different people that a whole planet of people being exactly the same and believing in exactly the same things, uh, is just like, I know it's, harder to write in in those situations but like i've always had a problem with that sort of thing do you think any of the later iterations try to hit on that you know some of the newer stuff that's come out i think we overestimate our ability to discern differences in other cultures mm-hmm. it's already been proven in like eyewitness testimony that to some scared white ladies i could have did it Shaq could have did it goddamn <laughs> charles barkley cat williams <laughs> She pick us all out the motherfucking lineup sometimes because of this weird racial blindness that happens, and and me with like uh, an assailant of uh, Indian descent or something like that, I might not be able to discern certain whatever. They racial blindness exists amongst us, and then you look at tell me the difference between two or three different fucking parakeets. Then parakeets know which parakeet is different. I don't. You know what I mean? And when you look at something as simple as culture. The Ferengi are venal and pieces of shit who are all about money and all they care about, their whole religion is money and stuff. When you go to a fucking dinner party, what the motherfuckers ask you? What you do? They're asking you, how much money you got and should I fucking respect you? That's our culture. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? So like this whole demonization of motherfuckers for, for thinking a certain way, the Klingons found out a long time ago they had to fight something hella fierce and they had to get fierce to beat that thing. And then now they all push each other and slam dance all the time and shit because as a culture, they survive something hellified and that's how they are. So it's like, I think we, we in our super, I don't want to say wokeness, but in our super trying to be uh, all encompassing and see everybody as not a monolith, we don't acquiesce to the fact that culture does impact us and train us in certain ways. And we do find different races. If we're not intimate with them, we're just going to pick up on those basic things that we. it seems like they all do. Because if I just came to Earth, it seems like all of y'all are obsessed with sex and fucking money and being hedonists and doing some religious bullshit to other people and oppressing them if you don't agree with them. That would be my summation of Earth. Would I be motherfucking wrong? No, not at all. I also think from the standpoint of, of science fiction, there is a school of thought that like, if if a planet-wide species is going to get to the point where you're actually going to engage in like diplomacy and trade as a planet rather than as nation states there would be something of a monoculture oh, and i okay. think i think you see that in the original series and in next generation as like you know we've kind of embraced these progressive ideals and that is just inherent to the way that humans go about their business and i don't think it's out of bounds to think that yeah to ed's point you know, Klingons as a species, in order to unite to the point where they could put the resources and the effort toward becoming a planet-faring civilization, like they all got to get on the same page to some extent. And I, you know, I I think that's less defensible when you're talking orcs and elves. But I think when you're looking at it from this point of view, I don't I don't know that that's so, that that doesn't track in in Star Trek. That's and also to your point, we we do later meet. Like the people who don't go with the culture, like like Romulans who are just like, you know what? I got to tell you a secret. 
uh, Romulan seem to be very emotional and want to fuck shit up all the time. I just want to chill. I don't know where the fuck I belong. Can I come with y'all? You know, we've we've met uh, Klingon scientists. Klingon scientists, obviously, they're a spacefaring race, so they must have gotten somebody that was smart. They didn't kill everybody who was a weakling and wanted to read books and had myopia. They didn't obviously kill everybody, but they don't lionize them. Like, I'm telling you, somebody looking at our culture, we're all six foot six, the men and women. We're all eight feet tall, according to all the stars we put put up. Everybody's Michael Jordan or Giselle Bündchen, according to our media. You know what I'm saying? But there's a bunch of trolls making all the shit happen, like gnomes, you know, building the, the cobbler with his shoes or whatever. All these uglies, 5'10 and below, <laughs> are are making the shit work. So, yeah, there's Klingon scientists, but they're not really lionized. There's people who want to be scientists on Ferenginar, but they're dissuaded from it because think about somebody in our culture. There's so many geniuses out there that are dissuaded from doing whatever genius thing they're going to do because, well, you got to make money. If it don't make if it don't make dollars, it don't make sense. Duh, duh, duh. So that's how we live. So on Ferenginar, they got a severe version of that. So their scientists are probably shunned. But, of course, when they make something profitable, they're lionized. You know what I'm saying? So that's what I'm just saying. Like, I'm not being defensive about these these generalizations because I no, do no, think, I, you know, I like that Romulans you guys explored that in a way that makes sense. I yeah, for Romulans me, are thin. Romulans are thin, but like I, I, nobody's as thin as a goddamn elf or an orc. All y'all are good. All <laughs> yeah, y'all are saying. tall and cute. Yeah. All, yeah, y'all all of you are, are bad guys. guys. Like that's my. That yeah. I have a problem with that yeah. sort of generalization. And of course, we're always we're only seeing the stars of their. You know, they're, we're only seeing these representations of those of that group uh, uh, as well. You know, we're, you only see a few of them uh, in in the shows and stuff. Um, well, okay, but but to get to the last, we we're supposed to do all the iterations. So we yes. did Deep Space Nine. Uh, the other iteration is obviously Voyager. We've talked about that. It is, you know, they they go on a mission to do some cool shit to test this ship that has like bio like bio cells or whatever it's like basically a sort of it's sort of in biological organism as far as how it's it's ship's brain relay shit throughout the ship so it's like this new drive to like oh this shit's gonna be so much better processing speed and blah blah blah. and it wasn't meant for people to be on it a whole bunch it's sort of a light fast get out there and get some shit done and come back ship and that's the ship that gets trapped <laughs> hella far away with no supplies and all that shit. You know what I mean? That's why it's such a big deal. It is not a big old generation ship. Hey, let's all have babies and fuck on it like like Next Generation. Next Generation's in Enterprise had families, non-combatants, non-commissioned officers. At school. A bunch, of, a bunch of people on there. And they were a culture. That ship was a culture. Voyager was supposed to be a crew sent to, sent to go do missions. And then they had to become a culture. Because they got trapped with each other for seven years in the fucking Delta Quadrant. Janeway being the captain and being one of the more controversial captains, as you guys were discussing earlier, is part of the controversy or seeing where it stems from, I guess. Like, she's a captain who is essentially supposed to be on a experimental mission. And now it's like she has to try to figure out how to get her crew to survive or get back home. And is she making like, controversial decisions in doing that is she operating in a way that's like very at odds with previous captains Janeway always made the most miserable decision like whatever would be the least fun or the <laughs> least like easy way like that's what Janeway did because that's just how she wrote like if Cisco were on Voyager and like he could like 
kind of break the prime directive to go through a wormhole to get home. I believe he would do that. And I think that, and I'm not saying that's a morally wrong thing to do, but I think Cisco would look at it. Like I have a responsibility to this crew. I'm getting them home. Fuck you. You know, that's the way things are going. But Janeway's just like, no, the most miserable decision is the more bad is the, is the more principled thing to do. That is another reason why a lot of Star Trek fans hate her mm. is because she turns out she's like a better example than either of the ones we did earlier. She's the fucking Skyler from Breaking Bad. That's like <laughs> I'm a I'm your fucking wife, and I don't want you to sell drugs and get our home blown up. And I'm the fucking bad guy. You know what I'm saying? The narrative presents her with so many bad guy decisions. She's the one who makes you go to bed with no fucking ice cream. She's the one that makes you do your fucking homework at the table. She's yeah. the one that makes you you know return that thing that you stole and bear that shame so you can remember this is a lesson. That's what she is. And that sort of, for lack of a better word, uh, motherly situation she gets put into, it makes people fucking hate her. And I just think it's the most facile psychological like programming. To It's easy to break that for me. I just look at her as a person who's put in that situation. But we look at her as a woman telling us to go to bed early and shaking her finger at us. And that sucks for nerds. Yeah. And I don't I don't want to take anything away from Cisco because like, you know, he punched Q in the fucking face. Like, let's the man punched an omnipotent deity <laughs> who lives to fuck with people and he punched him in the mouth. That's awesome. She's just no nonsense. And I'll take it here. I think like comparing her to Skylar White is just very apt. Like, okay. like. You know, like Cisco can irradiate a planet full of innocent Maquis who are just living there, and he's a badass. But like Janeway, like just doesn't take any shit. And, well, she's a bitch. But it's the same. It's the whole thing. It's like you know, if she doesn't take any shit, she's a bitch. If she's too nice and she's a pushover, and no one respects her. And I think it's as simple as that. I really do. The added layer to Voyager was the Maquis, which uh, Fifi uh, talked about. The Maquis, long story short, are just some guys who don't believe necessarily in the federation and what the federation seems to be um okay with on the outskirts like if they want to the, the federation starts to get into some sort of eminent uh, domain hey we'll support the guy the, the guy the bad guy from roadhouse they like show up and patrick swayze's all beat up and stabbed up and they and say brad and they take brad wesley's side sometimes they just don't have enough information they got to make snap judgments they're the space navy we got to get this going and they were doing some shit like that. And the Maquis were like, fuck that. No. And the Maquis were basically also like, uh, they wanted to defend certain colonies that basically we as Starfleet gave to the Cardassians. We gave certain places that these people had to the Cardassians to like form a peace treaty. And they're like, wait a minute. I didn't agree for you to, for you to give my house to these motherfuckers. That wasn't the deal that I made as a little plebeian. Well, sorry, you know, we live in this perfectly egalitarian society, except for this particular instance, go suck a dick. And so those people are super mad and form like a militia and they're fucking with the and a lot of them are from the Federation and they think that the Federation isn't living up to their own values. So people Mm. with Federation knowledge are aiding terrorists in fighting the Federation via guerrilla warfare. A group of these motherfuckers are literally on the Voyager ship when it gets thrown into this fucking wacky other quadrant 77 mm. years away from help so those motherfuckers with their with a lot of them with starfleet experience and intelligence and shit like that have to blend with the regular starfleet crew and become a family to use their best resources to get back 
So that social situation is also baked in. Now, I'm not going to say that you taste it in every bite. (laughs) A lot of episodes, you don't have that in there, but it's supposedly baked into the pilot and the proceedings. I I think that, like, I don't think they make enough hay with that idea. I think part of the reason, too, people don't like Voyager is just as a TV show, it's, I'm not, like, I'm a fan, it's good, but I do think it's the worst written of, like, the classic Star Treks. Like, Mm. they just had a lot, they had a ton of problems, like, I could go into the, like, people weren't watching it, so they brought on Jerry Ryan to be seven of nine. She's a deactivated, she's an unplugged Borg, and she's wearing this, if you thought the Troy outfit was ridiculous, <laughs> she's wearing this ridiculous cat suit she couldn't piss. Kate Mulgrew hated her guts, because, like, I'm the, you know, the female captain, and you bring on this this sexy woman in her ridiculous cat suit, don't let her pee, we gotta keep filming. It's like, so Voyager had a lot of problems, but yeah, they just never really did much with the Maquis, and I think part of it is just that Chakotay sucks. And, you know. mm. Yeah, yeah, the the, the the cast breakdown um of the top people. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to talk about Cass. Cass was a character that stayed on for a while, and then um <clears throat> the actress sort of started having problems, and I think she was a very popular character, so they got her out of there. But her boyfriend Neelix, who sucks, is like the ship's like chef. And they, they need a chef because they got to stretch ingredients and shit. He's, he's like a chef world. and he's like a guide. He's he, he knows about the Delta Quadrant. He's a, he's from a species that lives in the Delta Quadrant. So he's sort of like their guide, but he's sort of a charlatan too kind of character. Um, Then they got uh, Seven of Nine. She came along in the fourth season to pep it up. The the second in command is a some sort of weird Native American amalgamation. They were tricked by a Native American consultant. I don't know if the consultant was even Native American, but no. this person who kind of like that sign language lady on that that international meme now, like there's a there was a lady who got t- hired to do sign language for the police and she's like signing. And the person, people who obviously speak sign language are looking at the tape like this bitch is not sign languaging nothing. She's just doing gibberish in sign oh language. Oh, my God. The, that same way that lady was discovered. This guy was discovered as just kind of selling the Voyager people on Native American gibberish. So <laughs> Chakotay. Much like a lot of Native American characters before, uh, 2022 was like this awful bullshit, like the bones of my people crying up blah, blah, you know, that yeah, type of shit. Uh, the and, wolf hides me to the crow. Uh, oh, God. And he was like, bullshit. He was going on like 24th century vision quests and shit. Yeah. Like, I'm going to take some ayahuasca <laughs> and go do some Ugh. shit. And, 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 and if you want to do that, that's fine. I'm not shitting on that practice, but his depiction of those practices was pretty iffy if not fucking awful and and the, and the and the weird thing is that's the reason why voyager suffers is the cast design they have shit like that they have this weird little weasel neelix who, who doesn't even he's not interesting like quark he's just a fucking dork weasel you know what i mean and then you got like all this shit but tuvok the black vulcan and i hate to him the black vulcan but tuvok is one of the best vulcans of all motherfucking time he is straight up amazing. He is Janeway's like right hand man, and he's like he's bad as fuck. Yeah. Tim Russ just destroyed that role, and he I just wish it. he had been in a better. <laughs> mm. I wish he had been in a slightly better overall like cast design because yeah. I think he could have really stung. You know, I think he would have been awesome. Well, I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to ask about Star Trek Enterprise. Oh uh, yeah, we 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 we're well. Those are, we did them all in chronological order. <sighs> Yeah, Enterprise is next. It has yeah. Scott Bakula as the captain. 
Enterprise is also of a piece with all these previous ones, whereas like Discovery becomes sort of that hard line of demarcation where they Paramount Plus it or whatever, whatever service it's on. Yeah, I want to know what you guys think about about Enterprise, also because it was co-created by my old buddy Brandon Braga, who, uh, you know, wrote on a lot of these, but then they gave him and I think Ron Moore the keys to the kingdom to create their own or might have been Rick Berman to it create their Rick own Berman. series. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, that one seems to be not most people's favorite Star Trek. What's your guys' opinion? I haven't seen a ton of it, but I, I was not, I watched some and was not motivated to watch more. And that's that's that's, that's fair. That's, that's fair. So we can um, take that F of one of the greatest iterations. Well, except I mean, for it's, I, it's favorite. No, it's definitely my favorite. Awesome. No, uh, I think what's interesting about uh, Enterprise, I'll choose to go this route with it. What's interesting about it is we thought that. Kirk was in a cowboy generation, but actually, you know, uh, Archer, the captain for, for the original enterprise, he's in a real cowboy operation because not only are they, he's like, um, you know, in the cop movies where the, where the fucking guy takes your badge and that whole scene, he's constantly having that happen to him because basically the Vulcans are our daddies of space at this point. Like they Mm. think we're goofy little kids and we can't go out alone. (laughs) And they put yep. like space leashes on us, basically. And they're like, okay, y'all can go to the end of the street in space and then come back before dinner, you know? And we're like, motherfucker, we want to go explore and shit. And they're like, well, y'all are literally too fucking stupid and poor <laughs> to be tr- going far in space. So just chill out. <laughs> Let us get your shit figured out. And so we're constantly bucking up against them, you know, and their rules. So basically, uh, the, the Enterprise is the first ship that gets to go out more or less on their own, but the Vulcans have a Vulcan lady as his like first officer. And, uh, and she happens to be just super sexy. Her name's Tapal. Yes. She's stupid sexy, especially for the, the sort of Rick Berman, ver- uh, generation where it's like giant tits, no ass cat suit. We're done. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, just gotta have big lips. <laughs> Basically, DSLs, no ass, big boobs. Moving on, we got that shot. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's funny though because that is the first, but won't be the last prequel series in the Star Trek canon. Yes, that is correct. That so it's a prequel series. Oh, and and uh, w- another couple interesting things about it. The the lady, uh, there's a lady interpreter. And she's got to be better with languages than like Ahura or any of these type of people. In the movies, they made Ahura like a language genius. Again, that's great. But like uh, in Enterprise, it was really the first time that we were going to have to have somebody versed in alien languages on there because the universal translator wasn't completed yet. Mm. So they they kind of tried to try to everything that was convenient about previous iterations of star trek they tried to make inconvenient do you guys have to get gas yeah we got to go get some gas you know do you guys have to take showers or shit oh yeah taking a shower is weird there was showers galore because they had that hot girl in there (laughs) so they had they had to take radiation showers after doing spacewalks and shit you know what i mean so anything that they could do to make it inconvenient and sexier that was rick burnan's button he turned both those buttons up I, I don't know about the sexy part, but I, I think that's interesting because it's almost postmodern Star Trek, right? Like that's that's kind of 21st century in a way where it's taking a lot of those fictional conceits and being like, can we apply a little bit more of a realistic lens to this? Like, how would this actually work, even if just on like a less of a nuts and bolts level and more on just like, a, oh, this would have a ripple effect, you know? 
which I think is interesting because that becomes really, it goes from subtext to text when we get into like discovery, strange new worlds, um, and whichever ones I'm not thinking of in the modern era. Picard. Picard, that's it. You know what? <laughs> I, we get a little love for Lower Decks, though. Lower Decks I was is gonna, very good. I was going to bring that up. Uh, I've only seen clips because uh, I ain't got Paramount+. Plus. I can't be enjoying things. It's really, you know. Um, <laughs> mm. You know what would help me enjoy stuff? Uh, people out there listening, did you join our Patreon? That's how you fun, baby. I'll, yeah, we're going to spend it I'll on. I'll have enough money to uh, <laughs> to get Paramount Plus. <laughs> oh, but seriously, what I've watched is a hilarious, but still does a pretty good job keeping with the tone of Star Trek. It's good Star Trek. Yeah. It's legit good Star Trek. That show is so many in-jokes, so many deep cuts, and somehow... It's not like it's not like many saints of Newark, but Star Trek. It just <laughs> it just fucking works, and I love it. And one of my favorite things in a comedy, they have this character in the last season called Talyn, who's a Vulcan lady, and the conceit is that she's like a Vulcan, but she's like an emotionally unstable Vulcan. So she'll say something like, "Captain, I believe this is somewhat ill-advised," and everyone's like, "This woman's a loose cannon." It's just it's <laughs> it's great. Does and, that all take place on the same ship? I haven't actually watched any of it. For the most part, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's Do not they the, have it's not the Enterprise, it's the uh what is it? The Cerritos. And the, Cerritos. the premise is they're like they're kind of the fuck up ship. Like they go on a lot of like the ridiculous, like nobody wants this mission kind of missions, and like the protagonist, her mom is the captain and she's a bit of a fuck up and like it just works, man. I I think I think it's one of my favorite comedies out right. Speaking of in-jokes, for anybody outside the greater L.A. area, Cerritos is like a suburban blandscape that's known for its auto malls. So yeah. that's hilarious <laughs> that they named the ship after that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cerrito, auto square. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so basically, one of the things, okay, after Enterprise, which, again, take, it takes place in a cowboy era where we're not quite cool. We're not cool with anybody. We're not cool with the Klingons. We're not cool with the Vulcans. They were their pets. Uh, there's mm. races like the Zindi, which is all, four sub races who all became one race to have a consortium to fight us. Basically, there's all types of shit in there that they wanted to explore. Like some of the things that all of you guys have been saying about, like, well, why is this a weird monoculture in this country? Well, in this society, dolphins, birds, insects, and like snake dudes all evolved enough to be in space and have a fucking linked up society. So there you go. Knock yourself out with that shit. And well, so, if and you they, don't think you know, that pretty soon dolphins are going to be fucking us all, you're wrong. <laughs> I'm not letting no dolphin fuck me. I'm going to move to the Mojave Desert. Dolphins will <laughs> have a real hard time fucking me. <laughs> That's the human possible. dolphin war is just around the corner. I'm, I feel it in my bones. <laughs> dude, the fucking, dude, a dolphin, Ethan Hunt, just knocking on my door. Telegram. I'll open the door. He pulls off his mask and starts fucking me in the desert. <laughs> Like, there's no way. Anyway, Dolphin so, being lowered on a rope from your roof. <laughs> I go on this side. <laughs> <don't need> <laughs> oh, God. That's okay, pretty so, great. So, yes, I think um I think Enterprise deserves the respect of it was I think it was trying to do to go as cowboy and realistic with the concept as possible. But it gets bogged down in a lot of the creators' peccadilloes. Like, 
I don't know about Brandon Braga's personality, but it seems like Rick Berman's personality was Gene Rottenberry was like a weird space pussy who thought that everybody was going to be chill up there and it's not that way. So fuck that. And mm. also titties are better than boop, boop, boops and with the telemetry and let's go to this planet and all the shit. Titties are way better than all that bullshit for ratings. And he just systematically did every decision that is about titties or roughening up space. Every time he could turn the dial to titties or rough, he did that. And it shows through the makeup of the show. And it's just a little, it's, it's more venal than Deep Space Nine. Cause Deep Space Nine it's, has all kind of religiosity in it. Uh, uh, people's like real passions when they go to the mirror universe, you get just a lot of shit in Deep Space Nine is, is very hopeful. But there ain't, I don't think anything hopeful about Enterprise other than we got to get through this era of murdering fools and fucking shit up. And then eventually we'll get to that future. That's the most hopeful thing is that you know that eventually we'll get to Picard. But I think that's the last really super hopeful thing about it. Okay. Now, Star Trek Discovery had two seasons. Uh, people hate it, as far as I understand. How do you guys feel about it? It, I just, it just feels like, like, Star Trek has such a mood to use a Gen Z. It's a vibe, as the kids would say. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, but like so many of these new iterations, they just feel like every new fucking thing that's out there. It's just, it's not special. That's my problem with it. Okay. They don't feel special. Star Trek I mean, is special. It does have Abe Sapien in it, so I don't know why. Well, that is wonderful. But <laughs> well, I mean, I think that I think one thing about it is um, it does suffer from a little Berman disease of it's about war. Like one of the first things that happens is that the 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 person uh, Commander Burnham basically we discover we meaning the Federation discover Klingons for the first time in like a hundred years or fifty yeah. years. We just see them with our own two eyes, and she because she grew up around Vulcans thinks that Vulcans know about Klingons. When they see Klingons, they just go fuck them up. It's just on site. We, we, we're not going to brook any resistance. We're not going to talk to anybody about anything. Klingons are so mean and so assholey and, and go against our ethos so much that when we see them, we fuck them up. So obviously Scarfleet doesn't feel that way and they want to go down there and talk and Burnham goes, well, fuck that. We should go fuck them up. And so she goes down there on, basically on a mission to fuck them up and, or she doesn't go in there technically to fuck them up, but she goes in there to check it out to prepare to fuck them up. And she accidentally kills a Klingon person uh, when they have a big fight down there. And then that sets off like the Klingon war that takes place over the next two or three seasons or whatever of the show. And like, so she starts a war. She's raised by Vulcans. She's not a captain. She's a commander. And they spend like the whole first, I think, two seasons making her be good enough to be a captain. And then they let her be a captain so that it's got that going for it. And then like, there's, there's just, I think Fifi's touching on something very important about the lack of the Star Trek feel. And I don't think it has anything to do with the color of the captain or the, the even the way it's shot or anything. Well, no, it, the way it's shot is bad because it looks like some, it looks Fair. so, I don't want to say futuristic and so high budget, but it's supposed to take place at the same time as those paper sets of the 60s. Mm -hmm. But it looks so glossy and beautiful and of that sort of J.J. Abrams verse. And fucking Akiva Goldsman is part of the writing team. And I just, when I see Akiva Goldsman, I just got to pack my, my shit up 
and go <laughs> and go home. You know, what what I mean? generic blockbuster fare, courtesy yeah. of Akiva Goldsman. When you yeah. watch Lower Decks, it's screamingly clear that this is listed. This is written by people who think Star Trek is more important than my career. Like, yes, yes, I'm fitting into Star Trek. Star Trek is not fitting into me. Yes, yes, yes. And they're happy for it to be that way, you know? It's really interesting, though, if if you look at the creators of Star Trek Discovery, it's Brian Fuller and Alex Kurtzman. And so what a weird mashup of sensibilities, because Alex Kurtzman is one half of the duo with Bob Orsi Mm -hmm. that wrote the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies and is very much one of the uh, perpetrators of, like, modern blockbuster banality. But then Fuller is a way more interesting creator. He was the guy behind um, Pushing Daisies, uh, The Hannibal with Mads Mikkelsen TV show, American Gods. But he also was a writer on Voyager and Deep Space Nine before he became a showrunner. Oh, and so it's, it's weird to me how Discovery... I, not being familiar with any of those products, I guess maybe I'll ask the question, like, is there sort of a classic Star Trek sensibility meshed in there somewhere, or does it just totally miss the mark? I I, I don't know. It seems like those creators might be bringing something to the table, but it sounds like it's just not there when you watch it. I think they look at Star Trek as like, this is valuable IP, and that's as deep as it goes. I really do. I, I mean, I, I, I feel like it's written by, like, dilettantes. Not that they're, like, wow. untalented, but, like, in terms of, like, enjo- like as fans, they're dilettantes. You know what yeah. I mean? Mm. Like, well, yeah. Also, one thing I would, I would say is a part of that maybe dilettantism, perhaps, could be the um, – it's not produced in the same way that TV was produced back when we were consuming these other shows. Back in those days, everything was episodic. You could have 24 episodes to, to do all this shit. And these are like eight, 12, whatever episode seasons. So basically they do what modern television does with that amount of episodes. You don't do 12 different episodes with 12 different sets of makeups and different shit. Fuck that. You do 12 episodes that are telling the same story fucking true detective style you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. you used to get in oklahoma shoot the same four streets drive up and down the same road and catch the killer at the end that's kind of how they're doing star fucking trek one story that maybe would have taken two episodes at the most in actual star trek takes 12 fucking episodes in this they're always trying to solve some season-long mystery star trek is not a fucking mystery oh. It's the it's the last thing that Star Trek is is a fucking mystery. And you know what that's you, insane. And you know what you're not going to see in new iterations of Star Trek shit like in Deep Space Nine, where it's the last season of the show, and we're in the middle of the Dominion War, and hundreds of millions have died. But we need to go to the holodeck and play a baseball game against some Vulcans who were mean to me at the academy. And Rom hunts and wins the game. And we need to do this for no reason. (laughs) Yes. Wonderful. Yes. I I think I think the other shows kind of revel in the fact that conflicts and space missions and things are so long that you're going to catch some downtime. If you're not even looking for it, you're going to couch these motherfuckers like, huh, Cisco in a thong, what the fuck? Not, yeah. not Cisco in a thong. <laughs> Dude, Picard, Picard and his like little, uh, uh, when he went to Ryza, Picard was always dressing in some saucy gear when he went to Ryza. He wasn't always buttoned up. 
the with the uh, amount of episodes they were doing you could, and the and the sort of stories they were doing you could catch them sometimes in the middle of your vacation and an adventure breaks out mm-hmm. these discovery motherfuckers ain't never on vacation in X-Men comics, for Christ's sake, you open it up, they're playing baseball, and then Magneto comes and starts twisting his mustache, and then, then they got to put their clothes on. But you get to see them outside of this war so that you can see that they're people. And yeah. Discovery, man, it's just every fucking minute is about these fucking Klingon war, about this problem for the whole season. And it's just draining, dude. And I think mm. it's telling, I'm not trying to be a dickhead here, but I think it's telling that they put this black lady in a situation like that. She couldn't possibly just be the captain for a bunch of uh, four, 12 episodic adventures. She just couldn't. Why? No. We have, if this black lady is the captain, we got to put her through hell. Like she's fucking, you know what I mean? Like she's some kind of, I don't know, dude. Like she's some kind of sin eater for yeah. like why the <laughs> captains are all so powerful and how they, how everybody sucks their dick so much. Why is the captain so respected? If we're going to put a black woman there, we have to show. With every one of her actions, why she should be captain. And in every single interaction, Picard is wrong sometimes. Kirk is wrong mm-hmm. sometimes. Cisco's wrong hella times. Uh, fucking sometimes, fucking, I think Janeway is wrong, but oh, she yeah. has to make the expedient decision to get her crew back. Fucking Burnham is never wrong. And the white boys went nuts on that one. They were like, no, no, no. I'm not going to watch some piece of media where some negress gets to be super right. Every day, all day, in every situation, she's better at math than everybody. She's she was trained with the Vulcans, so she kung fu. She kung fu's Vulcans, and they're seven times stronger than us. So you can't beat her in a fight. You can't beat her on the you know. You wasn't in the gym shooting jays with her. This bitch is Michael Jordan and Muhammad Ali and Scotty and and fucking Lavar Burton. She's everybody, and they hated that because low key I hated that because she didn't need to be that to be dope enough to be the captain. The, mm. This Michael Burnham is by far the most qualified captain that ever existed and i don't think that's what's necessary if you're going to put a black lady in the fucking captainship make her as flawed as the rest of these fuck faces because that's real that's yeah. you know acknowledging that these people are real people making real hard decisions but instead of that they gave her so much plot armor i'm surprised the bitch could move um mariner's pathos in lower decks i think is really good when they kind of let her be like bugs bunny for three four seasons and then <laughs> she gets really emotional scene in a cave with a Klingon when she's stranded somewhere about why she wants to stay in Ensign. It's because she watched too many of her friends get killed and she's scared to be anything more than that. And I, I, I don't know. And I would, I would love to know what you think about the black characters in Lower Decks. Yeah. I mean, I, I love Lower Decks because it does a embrace episodic shit. B it shows that these, this crew of the, uh, Lower Decks is great. It's based upon basically an episode of of um, Next Generation, I think, where they were kind of like they run into these people who were like the C students of Starfleet. So these people would be geniuses in our time. If you booster golded them back here, they would be billionaires in two seconds. They're so smart. But in this super future where everybody's so great and these are the greatest of the great in Starfleet, they're kind of C students. And so Picard is like tasked with like or Picard tasks somebody with like, hang out with these motherfuckers, see why they're so whack. And see if you can get them better. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and there's this whole adventure where these fuck-ups have to finally be good to save the captain's life, basically. And they do. They rise to their potential because they're challenged with it. And Lower Decks is just that concept for se- season after season, which is why it's so great. And yes, the char- some of the characters are black. There's an Orion girl in there who's like... I think the Orion girl is kind of 
ah, this is going to get me in trouble with the right wing, but like, uh, and the left wing, I guess. But the Orion girl has the pathos of the, the average black person that maybe grew up in the ghetto and now are at Harvard. Because what, what do you do? These white people will ask you, Hey man, you grew up in the ghetto. You ever fired a gun? It's a lot cooler if you did. Mm. Right? It's a lot cooler if you did. So you tell your little ghetto story about how, yeah, man, this motherfucker came up to me, blah, blah. And next thing you know, you're telling ghetto tales. So if you choose to not do that, if you choose to not do that and play the model minority, that has its own set of things. You know what I'm saying? And that character is an Orion who used to be a pirate and used to get it in to do crime shit. But she doesn't celebrate that. She doesn't think it's super cool. So she tries to hide it from her people and play respectability politics. And then there's certain adventures where she has to go back and do that Orion shit on their ass. So she's trying to be like a credit to her race, literally. And it's just, I I think that's, they explore identity with black characters, green characters. Like, it's finally what the white boys have always been saying. I don't care if you're white, black, green, or yellow. Yeah. Now you got characters that are all those things. We can actually explore them all as full human beings. You know what I'm saying? I think that they don't use Mariner to tell some black story because she's a black lady, but she's also in the 24th century and her mom's a captain. She doesn't have some, you know, ghetto story to tell, but this green bitch does. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's what I'm getting to. You know what I'm saying? So I love that they do represent how they do representation in that show. Yeah. You got Star Trek Prodigy and Strange New Worlds. Now, I'm going to argue that we can't really have them in the conversation because they're so new that it's hard to really include them in the conversation until we see where they go. Um, Prodigy seems more like comedic and for kids. Am I yeah, wrong about kids. that? Yeah, yeah. It, it yeah. is for kids. So it's, well, I don't know if it's in the conversation, but maybe it should be in the conversation because sometimes you start kids off on something and then they move into something better. So maybe just for that alone, it, it gets a, a little nod, but it is brand new in those. So that being said, it sounds like we got through everything. And now we haven't talked about Picard. I'm nah. Picard, <laughs> Picard, Picard is part of next know. generation. It doesn't count. It's the same crew. It's the same crew. <laughs> well, I mean, to, to be fair, the thing about, I'll, I could be succinct about Star Trek Picard, ep, you know, seasons one and two are fucking bad. Because <laughs> all they do is say that, like, Picard was really shook by that whole time that he got changed into a Borg. And he's still thinking about it like 70 fucking years and 100 adventures later. He's still only thinking about that. He has like two Romulan housekeepers that are like fucking Amos and Andy, but like they're girls or one's a girl and one's a dude. And they're just sort of like, hey, boss, what you doing? We gonna help you with your vineyard and shit for no reason, because I guess he saved them some, some from some weird adventure. It's got a lot of this weird colonial. He might as well have an elephant head in his room. You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. kind of bullshit. He's living this bourgeoisie life. It just it, it sucks. It sucks ass. And then the second wow. season is more of the same. He has this ragtag group of people. They're having these. Those adventures suck ass. The third season of Picard is like if you took the very last episode of of um, TNG, which was fucking excellent, and made it a whole season and made everybody from Data to uh, Jordy to Riker, just let them all get their shit off to, uh, to uh, Troy. Just if you had an all-star team and you just threw lobs off the backboard for all of them to dunk in succession, <laughs> that's what season three of Picard is. They're just yamming on people, just double pump ducks everybody to kind of make up for the bullshit of Picard season one and season two. So I love the third season. of I mean, third season of Picard. It's really good. To Do me. you think you could watch that in isolation? 
I think if you looked at it after knowing a decent amount about TNG, yeah. Okay. If you know right. a decent amount about TNG, just watch the third season of, of Picard. I think you'd like it. Okay. All right. So now uh, let me say, I am a next generation head. That's how I grew up. It's just how I'm going to be until I die. And that's just where I lean. Uh, but that being said, I don't have as much experience as you guys. Uh, and I haven't seen quite as much, um, say, of Voyager or any of the other uh, great series that have come out. So what do you guys think? What is the greatest? iteration of star trek um look i think deep space nine is the quote-unquote best star trek but what i think is the best piece of, what i think is the best gift to humanity is tng it is mm-hmm. the most positive most uplifting most optimistic most we not we can overcome our differences and our and our obstacles and we will, and we're going to have a good time doing it. You know, there are episodes of TNG where somebody dies, and the next episode is just them talking about their feelings for the whole episode. This is in 1991. That's insane. And look, we've been in the golden age of television for, what, 14, 15 years? No one has even fucking tried to make something as uplifting as what TNG fucking knocks out of the park. TNG makes me as an artist feel like this is what I should be doing. This is the kind of shit I should be giving the world. We've got enough fucking dark, grim, macabre shit. Like enough already. Like Fifi, I look. Can at- I I, I Go gotta ask you: Have you seen For All Mankind on Apple TV Plus? I have not. No, I have. I've seen no Apple TV anything. Oh, okay. So. All I'll say, I've talked about it on the show before. Ron Moore created a show that is essentially an alternate history if America lost the race to the moon, and that then motivated America to essentially become a space-driven country. Mm-hmm. And they, they, every season tells a story set in a different decade. So it starts in the 60s, and the most recent season was about the uh, the early 2000s with President Al Gore. And <laughs> it it is one of the and I, I'm with you. I'm one of the I, I am not as big a fan of Star Trek The Next Generation just because I haven't seen as much of it as, say, you and Ed. But like, I love that kind of hopeful look at sci fi futurism. And it's one of the only things that I'm aware of in the past 20 years that's even approached it. Yeah. People who are fans of Star Trek The Next Generation would do very well to seek out for all mankind. Ron, Ronald Ronald Moore is my favorite Star Trek writer by a long shot, and I love Battlestar Galactica. And also, just as a personal thing, I'm going to give TNG my vote because they had Riker, the oddest man in television history, uh, fall in love with a trans alien. He went, yeah. "Dave, I'm going to break the Prime Directive for a piece of that ass," and that's important to me. <laughs> Very important. Very. I mean, important. and it was it wasn't just like uh, they were going to grab him up. Like he was scaling fences. He was mm-hmm. running through the woods. He really was risking it all for real. Yeah. And, you know, he that's an ally for the your fuck ass. machine <laughs> who can have everyone. And you know what? Jonathan Frakes fought really hard for the actor to play that other character to be assigned male at birth. He got shut down by Berman, I'm sure, but he mm-hmm. fought really far. Jonathan Frakes is a lovely man and a treasure, and he also directed The Offspring, which is my go-to, I need to cry, piece of media. Well, and I, I just think 
this is what I'll do in lieu of that. I think I'll do your Star Trek horoscope, horoscope, horoscope. Okay. So if you like the original series, you are probably old. You think that certain <laughs> things need to go a certain way and certain people need to be in charge. and don't have to be all male and none of that, but you do believe in like a sort of beneficent like, hey, man, cut to the bullshit. You have a lot in common with the star sign of Cisco. And 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 you have a little bit of Voyager in your chart as well because th- this shows that your your propensity to use expediency in these fantasy situations rather than entertaining all this flotsam and jetsam and all these ideas, right? So that's your that's your horoscope. You like fucking you like that? You might like a little bit of those two shows. If you are a T and G head, I gotta tell you, you're like a like a Leo or an Aries or something. Very strong sign, very big energy. And you really just know that that is the best. And it is the best because it has the best cast design. But that's kind of your personality. You want everything to be just so. We don't want things to be have to be assembled too much. And you want you don't want too much tension. Too much tension fucks you up. So you put on some TNG and everything's going to go like this, baby. There's not going to be no, no too many cliffhangers where you have to fucking wring your little hands and hope that it works out. It's going to work out, baby, in about 46 minutes. Don't worry about it. That's your. That's you. If, I've if never that's been you. so fucking red in my life. Wow. <laughs> so if that's or you, insulted. Hey, hey, if that's you, TNG is your jam. Now, if you think that there is, there's got to be some realism in goddamn space. There's got to be all this frou frou shit is fine, but there's got to be an underbelly that makes that frou frou shit happen. You know what I'm Schneider. saying? Schneider Real cut. life ha- is 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 a is a is a, is a um, sugar coated topping, and there's got to be some shit sandwich underneath. If you if you feel that way, you're gonna I think like DS9 maybe the best, and you might like Enterprise a little bit too because again, there's no universal translator. There's no everything's not so easy for everybody. So you that's kind of your your read, and um and also if you think that um the cultural parts should have to be explored again and again between mm. peoples. Because in Deep Space Nine, it isn't just, oh, these guys want to murder people who do graffiti. Well, we taught them not to do that. Goodbye. <laughs> the, nobody gives a speech to the Ferengi that tells them, hey, hey, fuckface, you guys wouldn't have had to buy your space technology. You guys were on a rock by yourselves being losers until you bought or stole space technology, and now you're up here with us. Why don't you stop being that way? Coffee is for closers, all that bullshit. You need to stop thinking that way, you dumb motherfuckers. Nobody does that to them. They don't. Because you can't do that to people in real life. You have to keep exploring. Don't put up the picture of the naked lady. We have a lady receptionist now. She doesn't like it. No, you can't play with nudie playing cards either. No, you can't show her your dick, no matter how interesting it looks. God damn. You have to keep having these conversations. If you understand that life is really like that, probably gonna like deep space nine a lot um voyager really to me i my star sign is voyager and i think voyagers the people who love voyager the best number one are obsessed with the star trek of it all she can't call for help there's nobody talking down to her there's nobody helping her at all and her crew sucks dick her crew is awful okay and all these other shows he, this motherfucker Picard got the best of the best from stem to stern. Fucking uh 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 Kirk got the best of the best stem to stern. Scotty's the best. Bones is the best. These two Spock, 
is better than him. Like, everybody's got the best of the best. This bitch got a fucking a raccoon-headed motherfucker cooking in the in the galley, a Klingon <laughs> engineer. The angriest bitch on Earth is down with the fucking neutronium and shit. You know what I'm saying? All the, the nuclear weapon inside of our ship, an angry bitch is down there pushing the buttons. Her crew is so mixed up and fucked up, and she has to make the best out of it with no fucking help. If you are a person who thinks that that's more or less how life goes, you're going to like Voyager. You know what I'm saying? Because it ain't the best cast. It ain't the best budget. It ain't the best written. But you still got to fucking trudge through it, don't you? You got to make the best of what you got. Life's a long, fucked up journey. If you feel like that, you're going to like Voyager the best. And uh, lastly, I think the prodigies and stuff are for little babies. And I think Lower Decks is for if you feel like an underdog who feels like if you just got a chance, you could do good enough. You could win if you just if they just gave you a chance to do your thing. I think um, Lower Decks is for you. So there's a little bit of Lower Decks and Voyager uh, crossover. So that's it. That's your Star Trek mm-hmm. horoscope. I I just never thought a Star Trek ask a lot, astrological chart would give us one of the more unhinged Ed Greer rants yeah. who shows up. <laughs> that's seen. pretty great. That's also, pretty great. I love how I come on here and Ed Greer, in so many words, calls me a Starbucks drinking basic, and now I'm just. <laughs> yep. 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 This he is normal speaks ed- only for himself, I not for Ron and I. It's normal ed- behavior. He also has the same conviction that people who actually believe in horoscopes has. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I can't sue you for slander, Ed. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, last things last. I think, obviously, as I stated in my in my comedic rant, TNG really is the uh, it's the Indiana Jones three of fucking Star Trek. It is everything that Indiana Jones 3 is everything that Indiana Jones is distilled into the most powerful dropper. You can drop it in your eyeball and be high for 74 days. You know what I'm saying? That It's powerful shit. Put it under your tongue. Just let it dissolve. You're good for the whole fish concert. That's how concentrated and power, powerful the Indiana Jones is in Indiana Jones 3. TNG has everything Star Trek all inside of it. The tolerance for other cultures, the, the weird mismatched crew, aliens working inside humans, uh, fucking dogs and cats living together. It's anarchy. It's got all of that stuff. It's got, it's got proto trans issues, proto, uh, sexual talk, proto culture talk, proto intersectionality talk. When Riker goes down to the planet where the chicks run everything and they're treating him like a bitch and they're like, Hey, come over here, little bitch, sit on my lap. He's like, Hey, lady, I don't think I like being talked to like this. Actually, I kind of do. This is kind of cool. You know what I'm saying? Unlock. <laughs> there's there's all this stuff going on in TNG. So for all those big major things, yes, TNG is the best. But I just encourage people um, after listening to this, there are kernels and almost every single Star Trek product, even that new stuff like Strange New Worlds. It's getting a little bit back to the the episodic nature. It's getting back to the to the handsome white boy captain, but there's no dearth of other colored people and other cultures on the ship. Uh, they all get to talk and do stuff. They all seem to be more involved than Hulu, uh, Hulu, than Sulu and Ahura were in the earlier parts of the season. The, the version of Ahura in the show is a genius and she's badass. She kicks ass. I think they're trying to get back to the episodic nature and some of the, the feel that Fifi was talking about. So, you know, uh, and Prodigy is about little kids, uh, on an experimental spaceship and Janeway, a holographic version of Janeway is their captain. These are all iterations of Star Trek and they all deserve respect. And I think if you go through them, just it's like the it's like a lot of books there's a lot of sections that you don't want to fuck with but certain sections that you do i just encourage people who aren't necessarily star trek heads to just consult my horoscope and (laughs) then look at what might appeal to you in the star trek diaspora to borrow a cultural term 
because I do think it's, it's the Star Trek concept is valuable and you don't have to just turn it down because you find one iteration that you don't like. That's what we did this episode about greatest iteration. A hundred percent. And, uh, no episode would be complete without a good Ed Greer rant, frankly. Mm. Um, uh, we mentioned it earlier. Join our Patreon, patreon.com slash the greatest pod. That's how we, uh, you know, get to watch Star Trek on all these various <laughs> streaming <laughs> places. And, and, uh, on top of that, if you're, you know, don't, don't got the ducats to, to support that way. No problem. We, t- we talked about that earlier as well. Please just drop us a five star review. I don't, I don't know if I always say this, but like, I'm really proud of this show. Like, if you're listening right now, I'm like very proud of, of what we do. You guys putting a five star review like really does like warm the cockles of my little heart. So, um, yeah. also please uh, buy Ron's album on the wing of a dragon. It's available yep. on all streaming platforms. Also, please do follow our socials uh, at the greatest pod on Instagram at nerd goat podcast on Twitter on YouTube. Follow the rebooted channel and the greatest pod channel. And Fifi, uh, any last thoughts on Star Trek before we let the people know where to find you? Um, if I watch Star Trek, I got into it over quarantine. I wish to God I discovered it as a kid. It would have made my life so much better and easier mm. and greater. So show your That's kids amazing. Star Trek. I, I can't, I can't speak highly enough about Star Trek. Um, yeah, follow me on TikTok at Fifi Dosh, F-I-F-I-D-O-S-C-H. And I will have my own podcast coming soon title to be announced. So, haha. So, thank you for listening to another explorative 24th century intragalactic space horny episode of The Greatest Pod!